Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Savior of all. Amen. You may be seated. Before cameras were invented and the photos that go along with them, it was much simpler to steal a person's identity. Jacob stole Esau's identity by fooling his nearly blind father, covering his own arms in the fur of goats, so that he felt like his brother Esau. Without pictures or photos to make your appearance known to all, it is far easier for someone to impersonate you. But now, with the advance of technology, Going forward in leaps and bounds, it is much more complicated to take another's identity. Yet it is still very possible. Fingerprint scanners, facial recognition, even biometric scanners are all newer ways to increase security and protect identity. And on your phones or tablets, computers, you can use a password, a pattern, even a thumbprint, a PIN number, all to lock or unlock your phone. Social security numbers get hijacked, along with credit cards and bank account numbers. Far more difficult to determine today a true identity in this world of technology and increasing mistrust and deception. So it's quite surprising to hear someone like John the baptizer have an identity crisis with Jesus. He was appointed the forerunner, the way preparer for the promised Messiah. And so his work was to get everyone ready for Jesus and then to let everyone follow after Jesus. And so if anyone were to know the identity of the Christ, of who Jesus is, it must be John. Yet John exhorts some of his remaining followers to question Jesus on his behalf. From within his prison cell, John asks the question through those followers, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect? Should we look for someone else? John had baptized Jesus for the fulfilling of all righteousness. John had witnessed the sky above torn in two. And he heard the voice of God, the Father Almighty, declaring the man Jesus before John, his own beloved Son from all eternity. How could John doubt? How could the forerunner of the Christ, the one announcing His arrival, not be so sure anymore? John came preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and he announced that one coming after him was mightier than he. Now John was no slouch to be sure. And so the Christ coming after must be bigger, must be better in all ways. His winnowing fork would be in His hand, and that meant true judgment 
would be coming. The frustrations with this world would be coming to an end. Injustices would be cleansed. Wrongs would be righted. Those hiding their sins in the darkest corners would be exposed for all to see. The self-righteousness of the Pharisees would be blasted for the hypocrisy that it was. The poor would no longer be gouged. The wealthy would be brought low. The axe was laid to the roots of the tree, John said. And any tree not bearing good fruit would be cut down and thrown into unquenchable fire. These were John's prophecies made public to all the world. Those were his words given to him by God for him to preach and with which to warn the people to flee the wrath that is to come. And yet none of what John had prophesied so boldly, so publicly, putting it out all on the line, none of that seemed to be happening with Jesus and His ministry. So could John have been wrong? This was a huge deal, the coming of the Christ. And so John had to be sure in his way or his role as the way prepared. So he poses that question through his own disciples to Jesus. But how can you be sure in those days? How could you confirm anyone's identity before all the modern conveniences we have? Well, you would certainly need witnesses. People like parents and siblings, those who knew the person well, what they looked like, how they acted, could verify his identity. And those people must be willing to stand forth and testify regarding the individual. But there were no DNA tests for Jesus to take. No background checks or long interviews to be held with the proposed Christ. No fingerprints taken down, no medical records checked, nothing. So how could Jesus confirm his identity to John? Well, he does so as he sees fit, using a usual tactic of his, his favorite. He quotes from the Scriptures. And Jesus pulls from a few different passages from Isaiah's great prophecy, one being of our Old Testament text for today. Isaiah was the one called to prophesy and to preach during a time of great anxiety for the people of Judah. The army of the Assyrians in the north had pushed all the way down to Jerusalem and they were knocking upon their door. Their northern kinsmen had already been taken into slavery and exile. And the Babylonian empire was just over the horizon, primed and ready. For an even greater takeover, exile was again prophesied for Judah in the south. But so was their return. In the midst of those promises of Judah's return were mixed these words regarding the Lord's anointed one, our context from Isaiah 35. And with His presence, the anointed one coming into this world would come the seeing of the blind. The hearing of the deaf, the leaping of the lame, the speaking of the mute. 
And God would certainly put His Spirit upon this one. And He would not cry out or lift up His voice in any type of jeopardizing way. He would not bark condemnations throughout the streets in an uprising to stir the people. But these were the tools for confirming the Christ's identity. Isaiah had foretold true miracles that would take place in the midst of the people, in the midst of a restored kingdom. God's anointed one would certainly usher in a fresh look at righteousness. Though really it was no different than the righteousness of their forefathers. Full righteousness before God was attainable simply by faith. By believing in the Son, the Anointed One, the Word to be made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus. These were the words John's disciples were to take back to Him. And Jesus intended His words to be enough to confirm His identity to John even as He sat in prison awaiting his own doom. But from there on, from that moment on, John could then live out his days in peace, knowing that the Messiah had truly come, that God's kingdom was at hand, no matter how it may contradict his way of thinking. And in this season of Advent, as we prepare once again for the celebration of Christ's birth that great day of Christmas, of His coming to us in flesh and blood, the message of Jesus Christ and of Him crucified goes with us. It remains with us, even as it has now for nearly 2,000 years. But we look around, evaluate the world about us. Not much has changed. We're really not any better off now than the people were in Jesus' day. For atrocities are committed against each other all the time. Government leaders still get corrupted and twisted by fame, by money, by power. And loved ones still face disabilities, deadly diseases, and die difficult deaths. And so with all of this, and everything else that flies in the face of God and His Christ. The temptation is present for us as well. To say with John the baptizer, are you really it, Jesus? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else, something else, put our faith somewhere else? This is truly a huge deal. The most important one of them all. For the true church has everything riding on Jesus as the Christ. You and I are staking our eternal lives on the word of Jesus alone. That our sin stands forgiven in God's sight. That we are righteous that He overlooks now our sin because of Jesus' suffering and death on 
the cross, you and I need to be sure as well. John the baptizer was not wrong. To think that judgment would come with the Christ, a change in this world. He was right to anticipate this major shift in the world's operations and behaviors. And John truly felt as though the end of the world was at hand in his lifetime. The Christ was standing at the door and knocking himself. John was not wrong. He was simply early with his views and understanding. For all the prophecies of the past concerning judgment, there are plenty of others concerning mercy and forgiveness. What John could not fully grasp was the timing of it all. There was not another one to expect to come and answer to his question, but the answer is simply that we are expect only one to come, but for him to come twice. And that first coming of Jesus was, as Isaiah foretold, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Judgment will be proclaimed, yes. It must always precede the gospel. But the end cannot come without the means of forgiveness, of life, of salvation being enacted by the Son. And so Jesus is that one who is to come. Without a doubt, 100%. He came as promised, born of a virgin, into the little tribe of Bethlehem. He came as God often described Himself throughout the past, slow in anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jesus' yoke was easy. His burden was light. That of the purest gospel. Believe in Him. He was born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give men second birth. He came to pay for all sins by His own death upon the cross. He came to be raised to new life, the life promised for all who believe in Him, life that will never end. And Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, just as John thought He would the first time that He came. And Jesus' identity will be confirmed on that day as the judge over all. But for now, in these days of Christ's reign here on earth, through the gospel, through the means of grace, His identity is confirmed as the Christ, the Son of the living God, Savior of all the world, worthy of our greatest praise, now and forevermore. Amen. The peace that does pass all human understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.